0: Chapter 22 Dina was so terrified she couldn't move or think, and then Jade let out an ear-splitting scream. Mr. Farbison stepped back in surprise, and Jade rushed out of the closet, pushing past him. She sprinted across the room, but he was faster and blocked the door with his body. Dina peeked out of the closet to see Jade standing behind Mr. Farbison's desk, her cheeks flushed and her eyes bright with excitement and fear. Let us go, Jade said. We know everything about you. I doubt that, he said, not seeming worried at all. He crossed his arms and continued to lean against the doorframe. We know you're a liar, Jade went on. We know you murdered your wife. Farberson's eyes narrowed, but then his face relaxed again. You shouldn't make nasty accusations like that, he said, especially not when I just caught you breaking into my house for the second time. I warn you, Jade went on. You'd better let us go, or... Or what, Mr. Farberson said nastily. Dina helplessly continued to watch, admiring her friend for standing up to Mr. Farberson but she could see Jade had run out of threats. Quick as a cat, Mr. Farbison grabbed Jade by the wrist. Let me go, she screamed. She picked up an ashtray with her free hand and swung it at Mr. Farbison, but it slipped harmlessly from her fingers and shattered to the floor. Mr. Farbison grabbed her other wrist and she screamed again. So, you like to play rough, do you? he said. Frantically, Dina searched for anything or any way to help her friend. Let her go, she yelled. She threw her flashlight at Mr. Farbison, catching him on a shoulder but he only grunted and he held on more tightly to Jade. Jade tried to scratch and bite Mr. Farbison, but he easily held her off. Suddenly tiring of her, he shook her. All right, he said, enough playing around. It's time to teach you girls a lesson. He slammed Jade hard against the desk. She gasped and screamed again. Run, Dina, get help! Dina didn't want to leave Jade, but there was no way she could fight Mr. Farbison. She fled from the room and down the stairs. Behind her, she could hear Jade and Mr. Farbison continuing to struggle. At the foot of the stairs, she paused a moment, deciding where could she go for help. The nearby houses all seemed to be deserted. Then her eye fell on the phone. Better to call the cops from here, she thought. She picked up the phone, started to dial, and got nothing but dead air. Too late, she remembered that the phone was out. This all started with a phone call, she thought, and it might end, because she couldn't make one. At a heavy footstep, she turned to find Mr. Ferguson standing right behind her. Phoning for pizza, he asked. Dina stared at him, her heart pounding in her throat. "'Where's Jade?' she asked, backing away. "'Taking a little nap, you might say,' said Mr. Farbison. "'And I'm sure she'd just love for you to keep her company.'" Dina backed up slowly, then, on an impulse, spun around and sprinted toward the kitchen. But Mr. Farbison was right behind her. Desperately, she reached out for something, anything to use as a weapon. Her hand closed on the handle of an iron frying pan and she gripped it tightly, Mr. Farbison his big body and silhouette because of the light behind him. Lumbered slowly toward her, his hands outstretched like those of a movie monster. This is a nightmare, Tina thought. This can't be happening to me. But she wasn't dreaming, and Mr. Farbison proved it the next instant when he lunged at her. With a little shriek, she swung the pan as hard as she could and felt it connect. He let out a bellow of rage, then grabbed the other end of the pan and began to twist. The rough metal cut her fingers, and she had to let go. Mr. Farverson reached out, grasped her shoulders, and picked her up as easily as if she'd been a doll. You little idiot. You cut my hand with that frying pan, he said. Who would have thought two girls could cause me so much trouble? Dina struggled, but it was no use. She had started to cry and tried to stop, but couldn't. He carried her into the living room and set her down at the bottom of the stairs, closing his hand on her arm like a vice. Come on, he said. I don't care if I break your arm. He started up the stairs, half leading and half dragging her. She had to walk fast to keep her arm from being pulled out of its socket. In the hall upstairs, he stopped in front of the first door she and Jade had opened, the one to the bedroom. He reached in his pocket, searching for a key. The door wasn't locked before, Dina remembered. Was Jade in there? She didn't have time to think about it, because, just for a moment, he let her go while he unlocked the door. Dina knew this was her last chance. She began to run down the hall, but Mr. Farbison was fast for such a big man, and he tackled her, throwing her to the floor on her back. She fought as hard as she could, struggling desperately. She heard a ripping noise as Mr. Farbison tore her poncho up the middle and pulled it down so her arms were trapped at her sides. Chapter 23 I'm totally trapped, Dina thought. What is he going to do to me now? Hey, what's this, he said. The torn poncho revealed a letter in her waistband. He snatched it out and his face grew even angrier. So, he said, this is what you are after. Quickly, he pulled Dina to her feet and pushed her into the bedroom. Then he followed her in, slammed the door, and stood still for a moment, breathing hard. Dina had fallen against one of the bureaus. She pulled herself to a sitting position, then looked around. Jade was lying crumpled at the foot of the bed. Jade, she cried in horror. The still form didn't move. Jade, this time Dina screamed it. You've killed my friend, she yelled at Mr. Farbison. She was so frightened and angry she could hardly breathe. She's just knocked out, he said. I wouldn't be surprised if she's playing possum. I didn't hit her hard enough to kill her. Not yet. On the bed, Jade moaned. Dina struggled with the poncho and finally twisted free of it. Then she went to her friend. A nasty bruise was forming on Jade's forehead, and she was very pale, but after a moment her eyes fluttered open. "'Dina?' she said. "'Jade!' cried Dina. "'Jade, are you all right?' "'My head hurts,' said Jade. "'What's happening?' "'Oh!' she gasped as she saw Mr. Farbison, still standing in front of the door. He was holding a letter in one hand, tapping against the other blood dripping from the cut where Dina had hit him. He found her proof, said Dina, still crying. I'm sorry, Jade. What I found was a letter that belongs to me, said Mr. Farbison. Something you girls were trying to steal. I've half a mind to turn you girls over to the police. For a moment, Dina felt a surge of hope. Maybe he wasn't going to do anything terrible to them. Maybe he would just turn them over to the police. At least then they'd be safe. Tell me what you think you know, girls, Farbison said. We don't know anything, Dina said quickly. Oh, is that so? Farberson said, his eyes narrowing. Hey, I'm not playing games here. Tell me what you think you know. He took a step toward them. I don't mind hurting you to get the answer. You know already, said Dina, angry again. She felt that Mr. Farberson was playing with them the way a cat plays with a mouse. You murdered your wife for her money and tried to make it look like a burglary. For a moment, Farberson didn't speak. Then he straightened as if he'd made a decision. Well, you girls are real smart, he said. Too smart for your own good. I've got to take care of myself now. What do you mean, whispered Jade. I mean you were right about everything, he said. Maybe I killed Edna. Dina felt cold all over. He wouldn't be confessing if he was going to let her and Jade go. The only thing she could think to do was keep him talking, to buy time somehow. You killed her and convinced the police it was Chuck, she asked, a strange smile formed on Farberson's face. When you three kids showed up that night, it was like pennies from heaven. You bought me even more time. Time to do what I had to do and get away. I'm grateful to you, if you want to know. You still can get away, Dina said quickly. Jade and I won't say anything to anyone till after your plane leaves tomorrow. Nice try, said Farberson. I thought about it. Thought about just leaving you locked up here till it's time to go. But you know too much. I can't take a chance on your stopping me. Wait, said Dina. What about it was too late. mister Farberson had backed out the door. Don't go away now, he said, grinning nastily. He slammed the door, and Dina heard the key turning in the lock. His footsteps faded down the hall. Chapter 24 Dina ran to the door and tried to open it, just in case, but the knob wouldn't turn. Come on, she said to Jade. We've got to get out of here. But how, said Jade. That way, Dina pointed to the window. Remember when I tried to shut the window before, and a branch was in the way? That big old tree is really close to the house, maybe only a couple of feet away. Are you saying we should climb down? asked Jade. We don't have a choice. Jade, he's going to kill us. She lifted the window latch and began to push, but the window was stuck. Hurry, Dina, said Jade. He's coming back. Now Dina could hear Mr. Farbison's footsteps on the stairs, too. Why did I ever want to shut this window? Dina moaned. She pushed as hard as she could, but nothing happened. We've got to slow him down, said Jade breathlessly. Come help me. Dina watched as Jade pushed against a heavy chest of drawers. She ran to help her friend. With both girls pushing as hard as they could, the heavy object began to move slowly across the floor. Outside the door, the sound of Mr. Farbison's approaching footsteps echoed. Hurry, said Jade again. The chest moved inch by inch and stopped against the door just as Mr. Farbison's key slid into the lock. Dina darted back to the window. There was a thumping sound as Mr. Farberson tried to open the door and found the bureau blocking his way. Dina heard him curse loudly. Then there was a tremendous thud as Mr. Farbison threw himself against the door. The chest moved an inch or two. The door is open far enough now for Mr. Farbison to stick his arm through. You can't keep me out, he said from the other side of the door. And he began to laugh. A chilling laugh. With renewed desperation, both girls pushed on the window again, and this time it sprang open. Dina looked out. Four feet below the window was a limb thick enough to hold both girls. The branches near the window were too thin to offer much of a handhold. The tree was still slippery with water. The bureau gave a sudden lurch. If Mr. Farberson had been any smaller, he could have burst into the room at that moment. Move, Dina, cried Jade, her voice filled with terror. Dina took a deep breath and climbed onto the window sill. She turned around and, gripping the sill with her fingers, swung out and down. With a relief, she felt her feet touch the limb below and she let go of the windowsill, sagging against the trunk. Gratefully, she wrapped one arm around the rough bark and held the other out to Jade. Seconds after Jade joined Dina on the tree, Mr. Farison appeared in the window. You won't get away, he snarled, and he immediately disappeared. He's coming outside, Jade whispered. Quick, climb down! Dina looked down and realized they were much higher up than she had thought. The next branch was just beyond her reach. Why didn't I ever learn gymnastics, she asked herself. I can't, she told Jade. It's slippery and too far. I'm taller, said Jade. I'll try. Then if he— Oh! Her eyes grew wide with a new fear. In the light from the kitchen window, both girls could see Mr. Farbison walking toward the tree. He was holding something long and bulky, and when he got closer, Dina realized it was a chainsaw. He can't use a chainsaw at night, Dina said in disbelief. He'll wake everyone on Fear Street. Is he crazy? Yes, whispered Jade. Yes, he is. I mean, he's gone over the edge. Just look at his eyes. Dina squinted down and saw what Jade meant. Mr. Farbison's face still looked mean and angry but now there was something else there, a wildness that revealed he was out of control. The whites of his eyes were huge in the dim light. Once again, he let out a terrifying laugh. Dina shivered. Somehow, this new Mr. Farbison was even scarier than the man who'd been threatening them. He started to rev up the saw. Just before the deafening roar blotted out all their sound, Dina thought she heard a high-pitched wail. The tree began to vibrate as Mr. Farbison cut into it with the power saw. Dina and Jade held onto the trunk as tightly as they could, to keep from being shaken off and into the whirling blades of the chainsaw. He'll saw right through it in no time, Dina cried, almost slipping off the branch. We're going to fall, Jade said, looking down. Down below, Farrison pulled back the saw, revved it up again, and, glaring up at the girls, returned the blade to the tree. The saw made a deafening grinding sound as it ate deeper into the tree. Sawdust and wood chips flew all around. Dina heard a cracking sound. We're going down, she cried. Chapter 25. Suddenly, Jade grabbed Dina's arm. Look, she mouthed the word. Dina turned her head. There, in the distance, coming from the direction of the mill road, was the most beautiful sight she'd ever seen. The flashing red lights of police cars. Another cracking sound. The tree began to tilt. Help was on the way, but would it arrive in time? In the next instant, everything seemed to happen at once. The tree tilted even farther. Dina closed her eyes and held tightly to the trunk, expecting each moment to be her last. Then suddenly, the yard filled with an eerie, flashing glow as police cars pulled up to the house. A police officer ran across the lawn, his gun out in front of him. With relief, Dina recognized Detective Fraser. His gun flashed once, then twice more. Mr. Farberson stood stock still, then jerked backward and fell, the chainsaw still roaring in his hands. Quickly, the detective ran to Farberson and shut the machine off. The relief from the noise and vibration was startling. In the sudden silence, Dina wondered for a moment if she had gone deaf. You girls okay? Detective Monroe was under the tree, peering up at them. Behind him, Detective Fraser and a uniformed policeman were bent over Mr. Farbison. Try not to move, Monroe said. I'll get a ladder. Dina was so relieved she felt weak all over. She looked at Jade and could see she felt the same way. Both girls were crying tears of relief. And it was only when the tree swayed again that Dina realized they were still in trouble. The yard was now filled with the voices of shouting men, the sounds of motors running and radios squawking. Through the dense leaves, Dina could see someone speaking into a walkie-talkie. And behind him, could could it be? Her father and Chuck! Detective Monroe had arrived with a tall stepladder, and he climbed it while a uniformed policeman held it steady. He reached out for Dina first. Gratefully, she put her arms around his neck and relaxed as he carried her down the ladder. A minute later, he returned with Jade. Just as he was setting her on the ground, someone shouted, Look out! Slowly at first, then more quickly, the tree toppled to the ground, its long branches smashing into the ground floor windows in the back of Mr. Farberson's house. Dina looked at it for a moment, her heart thudding in her chest. And then she passed out. Chapter 26 When Dina woke up a few minutes later, she was lying on someone's coat on Mr. Farbison's porch. Next to her, Jade was sitting cross-legged, holding a cloth to her forehead. And next to her, Chuck was hunkered down, gazing at Jade with a tender smile. Dina struggled to a sitting position, then looked around, not believing her eyes. Detectives Fraser and Monroe, three uniformed cops, and her father were all gathered around the porch, staring at her and Jade. How are you, sweetheart? asked her father. He leaned down and gave her a quick hug. Daddy, she said. And Chuck, what happened? Chuck grinned his goofy grin at her. It's kind of a long story, he said. Where's Mr. Farbison? Dina asked them. Over there, said Fraser, pointing to the side yard. He's wounded, but he'll probably recover, to stand trial. He leaned back on the porch railing and crossed his arms. It looks as if you girls have quite a story to tell, he said. While we're waiting for an ambulance, why don't you tell us what you're doing here? We were trying to find out what we could about Mr. Farbison, Dina said. And what did you find out? Fraser's face was blank, and Dina had no idea what he was thinking. He killed his wife, said Jade. He did it for her money. You're sure of this, said Fraser. Beside him, Detective Monroe started to take notes. Look in Mr. Farverson's pocket, said Dina. He has a letter from his wife saying she was leaving him, and he has plane reservations to South America. Besides, said Jade, he told us he did it. Dina noticed that Jade's voice was no longer dull, but strong, and that her face had some of the old sparkle in it. You say Farverson told you he killed his wife, said Fraser. Did he happen to mention why? His voice sounded faintly sarcastic, and Dina suddenly felt angry. His wife had a lot of money, Dina said, her voice showing how she felt. She wasn't going to let him have any more of it. Besides, he was having an affair with his assistant, Linda Morrison. Just how did you girls come by all this information? Fraser asked, turning back to the porch. We looked for it," said Jade, sounding bitter. We went to where Mr. Farbison worked and to Mrs. Morrison's house, and then we came here. You took an awful chance," said Fraser. "Don't you think that was a job for the police?" "Of course it was," said Dina. "But you wouldn't listen to anything we said. We knew Chuck was innocent." And we knew his only hope was for us to find out the truth. To Dina's surprise, Fraser smiled. I guess I should tell you, Farberson has been our number one suspect for some time. He said, "We've just been waiting till we could get proof." You've been w- w- waiting, Dina stammered. But what about Chuck? All this time you've had him locked up. Take it easy, Dina," said Chuck. "It's okay." How can it be okay? Protested Dina. If the police knew all along you were innocent, how could they have? We didn't know for sure, Detective Fraser interrupted. You see. Farverson was clever to involve you kids. Finding Chuck's prints and a knife threw us off at first. But then we started watching Farverson. We didn't have any evidence, and we didn't want him to know he was a suspect. You kept my brother in jail for a week just to help your investigation. Dina was so angry she felt like throwing something. Hey, Dina, take it easy, said Chuck. Let Detective Monroe explain. No, I'll explain, said Mr. Martinson. Dina studied her father, wondering if everyone had gone crazy. My lawyer arranged to get Chuck out on bail on Wednesday, Dina's father said. But Detective Fraser explained the situation to me. He told me there was a better chance of arresting Farberson if he continued to think Chuck was the main suspect. And you agreed? Dina remembered how Chuck had looked when she visited him in jail. How desperate, how frightened. Now, suddenly, she was furious at her father, as furious as she was at the detectives. Mr. Martinson looked embarrassed and shrugged. It was only for a couple of days, he said. Chuck would have gotten out tomorrow anyway. I wanted to help the police, and I thought it might teach Chuck a lesson. It's okay, Dad, Chuck said. I think I understand. He had one hand on the back of Jade's neck, and Dina thought he was a different person from the boy who had come to Shadyside less than three weeks earlier. His face looked older, more serious. All traces of the bitter sneer had disappeared. An ambulance sped down Fear Street then and turned into the driveway. Detectives Fraser and Monroe went over to assist the paramedics. Dina and Jade watched as they loaded Mr. Farberson onto a stretcher, and then put him in the ambulance. I can't believe it's over, said Dina. Believe it, said Chuck. Thanks to everything you and Jade did, the police know the truth. They know I'm innocent, and they have the evidence against Farberson to put him in jail for life. The ambulance backed out of the driveway and sped back to the mill road, its red lights blinking. The police experts all seemed to have finished their work and started to pack up. Do you need us for anything else, Mr. Martinson asked Detective Fraser. Nah, go on home, said the detective, but I want to talk to the girls again tomorrow. Fine. Ready, girls? Dina pulled herself to her feet. You bet, she said, and then she stopped and turned back to Detective Fraser. There's just one thing I don't understand, she said. What's that, said Detective Fraser?" Nobody knew where we were. How did you get here in time to save us? You've got Chuck to thank for that, said Detective Fraser. He tried to call your parents and tell them what you girls were planning, but he couldn't get through. So he finally called me at home and said he wanted to confess. You what? said Jade and Dina together, staring at Chuck. Chuck just grinned his goofy grin. I had to see him as soon as possible, he said. It was the only way I could be sure he'd listen to me. Dina and Jade just stared at each other, then back at Chuck. Jade started laughing. I don't believe you did that, Chuck, she said, gasping, after everything you promised, after everything we've all been through. What are you talking about? said Chuck, looking puzzled. I just mean, said Jade, still laughing, that you, you made another prank phone call. Chapter 27 Monday in school, no one could talk about anything but what had happened. There had been only a brief article in the paper about Mr. Farberson's arrest, but somehow word got out that Dina, Chuck, and Jade had all been involved. By lunchtime, the gossip had turned them all into heroes. When Dina went to her locker before lunch, she found a traffic jam. It seemed that everyone in school wanted the juicy details. Congratulations, Dina, said Delia O'Connor. Did you really help the police solve a murder? Corey Brooks wanted to know. Okay, everybody, take a number, Dina cracked. At that moment, Lisa Bloom came up, her notebook ready. Good morning, Dina, she said. You must feel great. I'm just glad it's all over, Dina said truthfully. I'm ready to write that exclusive, Lisa said. Can we talk after school, Dina said. I'm starving. Well, can you just tell me if it's true that your brother made a fake confession, Lisa persisted. Here he comes now, said Dina, banging her locker shut. Why don't you ask him yourself? Now Chuck came around the corner, holding hands with Jade. Jade was wearing one of her fabulous multicolored outfits, and she looked gorgeous. She was smiling at Chuck as if she'd never let him out of her sight. Lisa pounced immediately, and Dina was surprised to see Chuck grin and start answering her questions. Dina started to walk over to Jay when she saw Rob Morrell walking toward her. Hey, how's it going? He said with a big smile. Hi, Rob, she said, too surprised to feel shy. I tried to call you this weekend, he said. Now I know why you didn't answer. She just smiled at him, not knowing what to say. The thing is, Rob went on, some of the gang are coming over to my house to watch some tapes. I'd like it if you'd come too. I, I'd i like that very much, Dina said, her heart pounding. Great, said Rob. I'll pick up around seven. And you too, he added to Chuck and Jade come on over. Thanks, said Jade. I might have too much homework tonight. I'll let you know later. Dina, I'll give you a call after school. Okay, said Dina. She started to turn down the hall, then stopped. On second thought, she told Jade, I think I've had it with telephones for a while. Maybe you should just send me a postcard. This concludes Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Wrong Number by R.L. Stein, a Fear Street novel, book five. Thank you for listening to a Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Wrong Number by R.L. Stein, a Fear street novel, book 5. This book was a lot of fun to read. I read this when I was a kid. I remembered the ending being something with a chainsaw, and as a kid, a chainsaw is very loud and powerful and visceral. Seeing the antagonist use a chainsaw to try to cut a tree down to kill the girls, that was way over the top when I was a kid. I really liked this novel. I love the Dina and Jade relationship. I like how I cast Jade as being kind of a dumb valley girl, but she clearly has way more in the smarts department than Dina does. Jade's putting it all together, but she sounds like she's annoyed and half asleep all the time. It's great. I love how I cast this book. I had forgotten all about Chuck. I'd forgotten the names of all the characters. I'd forgotten most of this book. So when I read it, it was like reading a brand new novel. I especially liked Dina and Jade's banter when they were in the dumpster. And what a cool misdirect. You spend like four or five chapters on this stupid box that the love interest gives to Mr. Farbison. And then it's a dead cat the whole time. It's gross and stuff, but it's totally within Arlstein's Stein's character to throw a, a loop like that. And you spend a quarter of the book dealing with something that's that has no consequence. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Anyway, to wrap up, uh, for a studio update, my studio is largely finished. Any more improvements will be extremely minor and not worth mentioning. You know, decorations, lighting, that kind of thing. Thank you very much for listening, and if you want to get in touch with me, I am available on Twitter, at Nightfall Audio, By email, NightfallAudiobooks, at gmail.com, and I'm on YouTube, Nightfall Audiobooks. Send me a like, a subscribe, send me a comment. I enjoy reading your comments, so send more my way.